Hey friends, it's Corey Andrew Powell here, letting you know it's time to treat yourself with an exclusive Motivational Mondays deal at the NSLS shop. Listeners get 20% off shop-wide with the code MONDAYS. That's M-O-N-D-A-Y-S. Need a new coffee tumbler? Or perhaps you want to keep it classy with a new hardcover notebook? Well, get them on sale. Listen, with this deal, I'm tempted to trade in my bow tie collection for one of those cute NSLS hoodies. And don't forget, use code MONDAYS at checkout. That's M-O-N-D-A-Y-S. Enjoy that 20% off at shop.nsls.org. And stay motivated, leaders. Stay motivated. Hello, everyone. I am Corey Andrew Powell, and I am joined today by speaker, executive coach, and author Jen Lim. Her new best-selling book is Beyond Happiness, How Authentic Leaders Prioritize Purpose and People for Growth and Impact. Jen has been featured in Inc., Forbes, Fortune, Entrepreneur, MSN, Fox Business, CNBC, and many more. And she's referred to by many as the happiness expert. So we can definitely get some tips in the happiness area from Jen. Jen, welcome to Motivational Mondays. Thank you, Corey. So good to be here. Thank you. We are happy you're uh, you're here as well. We have been like anticipating this for a long time. I wanted to tell you first personally, like I know you had um, a history when you worked with Zappos for Mm -hmm. a while. And uh, I must say that their company culture video, which is so interesting, when I worked for a different brand years ago, uh, a pretty big brand, we looked at that corporate, that company culture video they did because it was like the first time we got this look behind like the people at a brand and who they were. And it was really monumental. And it, and it made us do a very similar, like who we are about us style video. So anyway, I just That's thought, cool. yeah, I thought that was very sh- good to share. Well done. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for sharing that. It must've been, well, what do you remember what year that was? Oh gosh, 2014, 15 ish, maybe, okay. maybe around there, maybe even earlier, but it was like at least 2000, like I would say th- between 2000, maybe 12 and 2013, if that makes sense. Okay. Yeah. Seems like eons ago, but it yes. Does. <laughs> it does. And I can't even recall what I have for breakfast. So yeah, <laughs> that's pretty much the extent of my memory. But, but in any event though, um, I do want to talk about your, your book first, Delivering Happiness. I know it started off as, of course, a book and then it morphed into something completely different. But first, I'd love to get your, just your take on, on the inspiration of why you wrote the book. Yeah. So just a, just a bit of clarification. I think you're mentioning the, the book delivering happiness that Tony and I worked on back in 2010. And then I mm. launched a book called Beyond Happiness in 2021. Okay. Thank um, you for the clarity. So, yes. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's confusing when you got too much happiness going on. So <clears throat> yeah. So that first one's 2010 and then we created a company around that, which is called delivering happiness. And then fast forward, uh, beyond happiness was what. I launched in October 2021. And initially I thought it was just going to be a roundup of like, you know, these last 10 years of what's going on, of what we've done with delivering happiness. And then, then, you know, I started writing the book January. Well, contract was signed January 2020. And Mm. as we all know, like we all got 2020. Yeah. <laughs> multiple yeah. times. Yeah, we did. <laughs> incessantly. Yeah. And so every time this big headline happened, you know, from the pandemic, social unrest, climate change, you know, and then fast forward to the end of 2020, uh, my co-founder passed away unexpectedly. So to me, the original book that I was trying to write just didn't really, you know, matter as much anymore. And the world had gotten so much bigger and smaller at the same time. 
if that makes sense. So I really went and needed to shift gears and try and encapsulate, you know, what does it really mean to create not just environments at work, but now in our lives and make these choices that are much more in line with not just happiness, but humanity. And I, and I know that's a big term, but how I'm looking at it now, it's not just the highs that we're embracing and, you know, want to be living, but we're also really wanting to understand and embrace our lows. And that to me was more of a realistic approach to these, especially the last few years of embracing the highs and lows for not necessarily a happy life. Cause you know, waking up in the morning and going to sleep at night and being happy every second is not, you know, it's totally po- impossible. But what is possible is, Waking up and going to sleep and realizing and feeling that those moments are fulfilling, that they're meaningful because we were living according to what is most important to us. You know, we talk about purpose and values, but really it's, it's about who we are fundamentally as human beings and, and what's most important. And are we actually aligning our days to live in those ways? So that's when, um, yeah, beyond happiness came about. Mm. And I love that you actually just, you, you literally verbatim said the quote that I was going to ask you about directly, which is embracing the highs and also the lows. Cause I was literally going to ask you about that because I think, um, very often we overlook that the low points are the, are the, are some of the best learning points I find. Right. And that's sort of when we kind of say, Oh, well that didn't work. Not going to try that again. <laughs> yes, <laughs> you know? exactly. Yeah. Instead of, um, cause it's all, it's, it's yeah, understandable why we want to sweep that under the rug. I was like, Oh, I don't want to feel that pain anymore or uh, that heartache or, you know, that low in our life. But I, and it sounds like you have been able to see the value of actually, what does that mean? What did that mean? You know, and what can I learn from it? And, you know, in a really cool way is when we, actually acknowledge and identify those lows in hindsight of our lives, we get that much more resilient. We get that much more grit because, you know, we're still in a very challenging, crazy, wild norm. And it's still very uncertain as to how these following months, if not years, will pan out. But at least we have the agency within us as individuals, you know, beyond the self-help book, beyond an inspirational quote, because that's external, but if we can look internal to what we have actually overcome in the past, that really fuels our own fire of like, oh, I, I got this. You know, this might be a crappy situation, but I've gotten, I've done it before. And, and therefore I feel like I can do it again. Yeah. Oh, I love that. And it's so true because I was just telling a friend recently that, uh, well, something happened in, within our circle of friends and they were like, you're not upset about that, about what they did. And I was like, you know, I'm not because I've learned that I cannot apply what I would have done in a situation to others and then be upset that they didn't do what I would have done or react to a situation the way I would have reacted. And I made the point, I said, and that's the one thing about getting older. If there's anything that's great about it is like, I, I get better when I start to understand things like that and I don't get upset. Right. It's, it's a big one for me. I love that. It's huge. I just had this conversation really a week ago with, uh, with someone because we were talking about, yes, we are getting older, but that's the silver lining of it, of being mm. able to have that self-awareness, number one, and be able to say these things and 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 do it confidently, right? Like, because we are not imparting our message on someone else. It's kind of like, wait, this is what I'm going to own for myself. And yeah. just feeling that, that that's, you know, 
it, it's someone else's prerogative without judgment. It feels pretty, pretty solid, right? As we it get older. It does. Absolutely. And I get my time back. I don't have to be upset about it. <laughs> yes. I said, you know what I mean? I can go and have and live my life without being upset. So, okay. So that's the distinction between the first book, of course, and then the beyond happiness. But as far as when you began to deliver the success of the, the first book, if you will, into like a business model yeah, for corporations and brands, like, I'm really curious about like, was there some aha moment where you're like, you know, I think I can take this to IBM and then, or, you know, whatever the situation was. Like, how did you parlay that from like this great idea that obviously got a reception, but then into a business model for a company? Delivering happiness was a lot about Zappos, the Zappos story, how it became successful through happiness, like meaningful happiness with their employees and then customers and, you know, have a profitable and sustainable business. And so when Tony and I actually created a company around it, there was a moment where I was like, Oh crap. Like we knew it happened at Zappos, but can it really work elsewhere? And so that became the charter. That became the ultimate test because everyone's like, Oh, well, let's just learn what they did and copy that. And fundamentally that's not right because every, every company has their own DNA. Every company has their own people of DNA. So that's when I kind of went to the drawing board of understanding, you know, there's so much academic stuff about scientific happiness, positive psychology, which is really cool, but it wasn't very practical yet. And so being able to extract, like pull those things that we know are true from the research, which is as an example, happiness comes from having a sense of autonomy or a sense of control of your life. Happiness comes from a sense of progress. We're learning, we're growing, we're developing. Happiness comes from connectedness, like meaningful relationships. And ultimately the most sustainable form of happiness is having a higher purpose. So, you know, doing and being a part of something that's bigger than you. So putting all this conceptually into the workplace is what we basically did as an organization, extracting those concepts and creating exercises, creating workshops, creating ways for people to identify these things for themselves. And then therefore help people increase their levels of happiness at work and therefore get the results that companies want, more productivity, more engagement, ultimately more profitability and sustainability in the end too. So that's how it all rolled out. And it was like a really cool moment when it was like, oh my gosh, this is actually working. <laughs> well, I guess that's like Oprah's aha moment. You know, Oprah always talks about the aha moment when you say, you know, when you see things click, you're like, wow, this is really like, I can actually do this and you can sort of, I think in your case, realize that you can fine tune it. Different companies can take your model. Yeah. But they will have to then customize it based on their particular organization. Exactly. Yeah. To keep their DNA, you know, true and live and authentic. Cause if we're talking about part of happiness is like creating their environment where people feel they can show up as themselves. Most authentic selves. Yes. And the company's got to be authentic too, if they want that to be the case for higher sense of like success. And, mm-hmm. and so, yeah, it's been really cool to see that. And, it, and what's also been amazing is that because most, I would say like half and half of our clients are international, half are you know, here in the U S it's so cool to see the boundaries dissolve, right? Culturally, mm-hmm. We are all the same as human mm-hmm. beings. And this was even before, you know, 2020 BC, like before right, we right. Uh, saw all those changes. And that to me was the most inspiring part of it. Cause at the end of the day, we are human beings with 
fundamental set, a set of needs. And, uh, getting to that, of course, has very different ways and different paths and like different nuances of a culture, of a country, of, of a history. But it's been amazing to see how it can work when you're talking about sustainable happiness in a, in a meaningful way. Mm. Yes, I love that because I think the biggest problem that we're understanding now has been the issue is the fact that most people, or not most, many people did not feel they had a place at the quote unquote table. The representation wasn't there. And I know if you are then adding the other layers of perhaps ethnicity or gender and all these other things, it's even layered more on top of how you try to show up as your most authentic self when you're almost afraid to do so because it, it's there's documentation of how showing up as your authentic self has been harmful for you in the workplace yeah. in the past, right? It's a, it's a catch. It is totally. And I love that you bring that up because we've had very recent conversations about that because I had someone, you know, in the audience say, well, what if you can't be your authentic self? And, and it was a very valid question. And historically that has been the case. You know, I'm, I can't speak from her. She was, you know, she was, she was African American and I can only speak from my Asian American experience. And I have many times felt like I can't be that authentic self. And maybe that's why I'm on this crusade of like, no, we want to be, I want to be showing up as me, you know? Mm -hmm. So no doubt it's not easy. And in in some environments you just can't, if you really want to just survive, if not thrive. But I do think the conversation and just the fact that so many things have changed in the last few years and people are a lot more vocal about it to actually address, you know, the elephants in the room. And if we don't, you know, make steps towards that change, then we will not see it happen. Yeah. Yeah. I'm always concerned when I hear people will say things like, and this is, this has been a, a contentious conversation too, if we're, for, for many where someone says, Oh, I don't see color, you know, and, uh, I don't see ethnicity. And I'm like, well, I actually kind of, I need you to, though. I don't need you to not see it. We need you to actually see it and then understand that the world is comprised of all of it. Right. And so the whole idea, I get, I get the idea, the sentiment of, oh, I don't see color, but that doesn't seem like a good resolve when people say things like that in the workplace, especially. Yeah. I think it could be loaded because I think sometimes it, like that person is feeling like it's coming from such a good place. How come they don't see my point? And it's kind of like, I actually do see your point and <laughs> there's more to right. it too. Yeah. Yeah. So then begs the question of whether or not the person is just open to a different way of thinking or a different perspective. But that's what I really love about this work is like now we can have those conversations more than ever. So by not talking about it, yeah, is is like we'd be part of the problem versus mm-hmm. making a change. Absolutely, and I do want to commend you also on on these conversations because you know we're doing some great initiatives here at the NSLS, and one of the things we just discussed this morning was if I'm going to go out and have conversations about the African American experience, I'm not necessarily trying to talk to other Black people because we kind of have the same existence. I want to share and sort of dismantle some of the misconceptions or stereotypes or misinformation that others who don't look like me uh, may have. And I think when we start doing that, that is when we have these really great sort of uh, understandings of the more commonalities uh, between us and differences, right? Yeah, totally. I love that too, because it's so in parallel with 
the work that we do. The point is, is that people can keep on harping on what divides us. But when we talk about purpose, we talk about values, we talk about the human needs, that's what unites us. And Mm -hmm. to your point, which I really also love is that even within our own community, right? (laughs) Um, like even as an Asian American, even as a Chinese American, we have all these different, you know, (laughs) like, yeah, yeah, even within that. So I think that's why like the assumption on the, the race front or the, you know, how we look front, it just needs to be dissolved to a place like, who are you mm-hmm. <laughs> as a human being I love and it. who am yeah. I? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. I love it. And I think we're getting there. I love that people um, are asking questions. And what I also tell my friends, I cautioned to my friends who are African-American, I say, be very conscious of when people who don't look like you are asking questions. And we have to make sure that we're not being emotionally responsive in a way that's not productive because we may think it was offensive when they had every good intention of just learning and understand. Mm-hmm. So I think it really takes some consciousness on both parts. And with that, I do want to ask you, I know that you, a lot of your work is basically based on your own sort of background and, and culture and the strategies that you have developed to put into like practical use for, for organizations and individuals to sort of overcome some of these things. I did wonder though, were there some examples of things that were done at a company, for example, that when you go, you've gone in and you've seen some examples of like, you know what? You need to stop doing that and try it this way. Anything stand out? Oh gosh, this is so many. Um, what I think the things or the examples that resonate most are things that companies that had to overcome during COVID and the companies that we work with, it's, you know, they're opting in, you know, they realize like, Oh, we do want this, you know, like we do want our employees to be meaningfully happy and all that stuff. So they're already open to the idea. So it's less of like, stop all this stuff. It's more of like, this is what you have to ground yourself in. The stuff that we're talking about is like culture foundation. Like if you um, want to be able to grow and develop your people, and if you want to have a healthy conversation about why this person, hey, I'm sorry, you know, you're not really living along the lines of our culture and our values. So I'm sorry, we, you know, we got to part ways after, you know, demonstrating that person won't do it for a few, several times. So the cultural foundation stuff, a, a big example for me is like, just imagine like one of the most difficult workplaces during COVID. No matter what kind of workplace we're in, one of the most difficult ones was hospitals. And so one of our clients, Northwell Health, upstate New York, I think they had like about 80,000 employees at the time. They did work with us like way before COVID, like let's say four or five years prior to get their purpose, to get their values so that from the custodian to the valet guy that drive or woman that drives cars, uh, you know, does the valet to the doctors and nurses, everyone understood what their purpose and values were. It brought them back to a sense of like, oh, this is why I'm here. You know, doctors that were jaded, nurses that were jaded were like, oh, I'm here for the patient. I'm here for me because I came into this work for that reason. Fast forward, you know, they laid that foundation and then COVID hit. And you can imagine they lost all sense of control, no sense of autonomy, no idea what was going to hit. I mean, making life and death decisions on a day-to-day basis and, you know, for themselves and their own families too. But because they had built this strong foundation of culture, they 
as leaders and the CEO, even he was told, stay in this office. Don't leave because we have no idea what this you know virus will do mm. to you. He's like, no, that is not living us. I'm going to go out there. I'm going to be with our team. So we're going to make decisions together and weather through this. And so what they did as leaders is they set up tents for their staff. So that people can get hydrated, people can talk to counselors, because imagine their mental state sure, in this yeah. like chaos. And so they did those like things that not were written in a book, but basically were the right things to do in, in a, a very unpredictable time because they knew it. They had to protect and, and care for their people first. So they celebrated their wins. Like when someone was released from the hospital with COVID and COVID free, the whole team came out to celebrate, you know, this person being able to go home. So it's those things that really mattered in a time that so much was lost of, you know, a sense of control and autonomy. Um, so I point to them because if, you know, people in that kind of life and death situation can endure and actually thrive. And what was really cool about this example is like before COVID, they were number 90 something on the best places to work list in fortune. And during over the pandemic, they went to like number 19 across all industries, which blew my mind how they were able to maneuver it with, you know, the priorities of their people in place. Yeah. It's also, there's a correlation with that. Well, a correlation between that and also a very common denominator I see when I interview successful people, CEOs or business owners, or just everyday people who are successful, there's always a moment in which life threw them adversity mm. and they had to either adjust and be flexible or they were not maybe going to die. But in some cases, in this case, they could have died, right? If they weren't smart and flexible and willing to say, okay, well, yesterday is no longer what we knew. Right. <laughs> you know, and today is a whole other thing. How are we going to deal with this thing? Not getting stuck yeah. in how we used to do things, all those traps, right, that I find are common denominators between people who are successful when they move forward. Love that you are able to observe that. Um, it's something that I call, I talk about in the book a little bit, and I call it the adaptive age. Like we've gone through a lot of different ages, like we we're farmers in the past, and then we got to the industrial age, and then we went technology age, and then information, and I'm calling this the adaptive age for that exact reason. It's like, we just don't know what's going to happen at any given time. <laughs> so, for real. so yeah, it's actually Darwin didn't say it's the strongest that survives. It's those that are most willing to be changed and adapted. So I think that applies to us in that adaptive sense. One of the things that has been very helpful is like because of these unpredictable things and unpredictable things that come every day is like as a leader being able to say, after your emotional thing, you know, runs through is like, is this within my control or is it outside of it? And therefore have a better plan as to what can I do about it? Cause that's, that's the only thing you control, not the stuff that's coming out your way. Yeah. Yeah. And it does sound like, I mean, and it seems cliche in a way, and we've heard it before where it's like, you know, God grant me the, you know, the, the strength to accept the things I cannot change it, you know, all that, but it seems cliche, but it's really true. Like I think one of the biggest problems we have, even on a bigger, more personal level for many people is they get stuck in a time in their life where maybe they did something either bad or good either way, and they can't move beyond that moment. And I always feel like if you're stuck in the past, you are really shortchanging your current self of their future. That's sort of 
because you have to be in the now. But uh, so I think that's a great example. Like just it is hard though. It is. Mm-hmm. I mean, very often it's hard because we also are comforted in a way by what's familiar. Yeah. Right. It's also hard to yeah get out of it in that mm-hmm. sense. Um, and I think that yeah, some of these things do sound cliche. Cause they've been, you know, here since the test of <laughs> time of our existence. But I think what is most important now for people that are still feeling stuck and, you know, real recognizing that it's actually natural and it's actually human and it's not a bad thing because it's part of, you know, the human experience. But I think the most important thing is to contextualize it to today. Even though these are all like, ageisms of, or not ageism, the age old things that we know to be true. What does it mean to have to do and endure through things like that in today's context? So much different from what it was, you know, just three years ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. I think one of the most profound moments I had on motivational Mondays, I interviewed Stepman Graham and it was really cool because it was the first time I had actually heard someone sort of phrase it that way. He was like, um, you know, you are not relegated to be anchored in your past, you have to know that you need to move forward because there's a whole life ahead of you. You can't control what happened like five minutes ago. So it's over, you know, so you have to move forward with it. So I've sort of always tried to um, live that way because, you know, like you said, it's not easy. We cannot get stuck, but I try to, to, to stay unstuck. But one thing you also said that I love too, is you talk about the double ROI, if you will, when people are allowed to come to work or be in an organization as their most authentic self. And you tied it, and you mentioned it earlier, you tied it to more purposeful profitability for a company. Yeah. But then there's a double ROI in which you sort of equate, you connect dots between the person who can show up at work in their most authentic self is more productive and happier. And then they're living a more happier life outside of work. And then that contributes to a happier society. So you connected a lot of dots there. So talk a little bit about that. Yeah. So the, just two, the two ROIs come from the first one is a more traditional sense. We all know, you know, return on investment. And that was to address the naysayers of like, wait, you know, happiness and all this doesn't really belong in the business sense or a company. But then there's the data time and time again show like that those companies that double down on their people actually outperform the S&P 500 over the last 10, 15 years, even in economic downturns. So that's the first ROI. The second one is the ripple of impact. And that's speaking more towards what you just described. This is actually you know, kind of uh, inspired by Rumi's quote, we're not a, a drop in an ocean, we're actually an entire drop is, is, is the ocean. That inspiration of like how we're all so interconnected. And in that sense, like the ripple of impact in the, that I talk about in the book is like when you are as an individual, imagine as a me individual living your purpose and values and being able to live that on a day-to-day basis, the ripple starts going to your team the people that you work with on immediate day to day, then it goes to your company all aligned with the sense of purpose and values. And then because every step of the way, these ripples are aligned to that purpose and values, it extends to the greater sense of community, your customers, your partners, your actual community, and then the planet and society. So if you can just imagine how these little drops in this ocean of ours are all living their authentic lives of purpose and values that's how we make up this ocean of these individual ripples that only increases when 
we are able to ripple it to others. And the beauty of it is that it comes back. Like once it hits the shore, it comes back to that person, to that individual that's living in that authentic self with purpose and values prioritized. So it's really cool to see, basically look at any workplace, like look at in that hospital, every one of those people in, in that workplace was living their ripple of impact in their own way. And together they were able to create a bigger impact for not just the hospital and the patients, but for their community at large. Uh, and I think that's how workplaces and organizations can, can be organized now in a bigger way. Yeah. Excellent. Wonderful words of wisdom from Jen Lim. And thank you so much. And I'm going to just mention thank both you, books. But the, you're very <laughs> welcome. And, and, and it was delivering happiness and then beyond happiness. Yes. So, uh, <laughs> so there's two. And congratulations on your success, though. They were really I mean, over a million copies sold of delivering happiness, correct? Yeah, that's right. Yes. No. Yeah. Okay. I think I, I thought, thought about <laughs> the titles. Right. <laughs> congratulations on your success. Thank you so much, Corey. Thank you for listening to Motivational Mondays presented by the National Society of Leadership and Success and available wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. I'm Corey Andrew Powell, and I'll see you again here next week.